welcome to Ivy League Murders. My name is Sarah Alcorn. I'm a Harvard graduate and a private investigator. And my name is Laura Rodriguez McDonald. I'm a University of Miami graduate, longtime crime aficionado, and part of a fourth generation NYPD family. Laura and I don't always agree on everything. With her NYPD roots and my criminal defense background, sometimes we find ourselves on opposite sides of the jury. We do share a mutual passion for crime solving, and we both grew up in Cambridge, steps away from Harvard University. On Ivy League Murders, we discuss cases where the best of the best make the worst decisions. We look at people who seemingly have it all and throw it all away. Hey, Laura. Hey, Sarah. So this is part two, Death on the Grey Lady, Columbia's Thomas Tulin. So if you haven't listened to part one, we suggest that you go back and listen to part one. And we ended last week's episode with the arrest of Thomas Tulin for the murder of Beth Lochtefeld on Nantucket. The trial of Thomas Tulin III began June 4th, 2007 in the Nantucket Superior Court. I think we mentioned that Nantucket hadn't seen a murder in 20 years, and certainly not one this brutal. Brian Glennie was the prosecutor, and if there had been any doubt of Tulin's guilt, a sloppy, bloody DNA trail of Beth's blood led straight back to Tulin. Thomas Tulin's defense attorney was Kevin Reddington. I've met Kevin, and he is a very, very good attorney, very charming, very smart, very Boston. He's actually out of Brockton. And Reddington argued for a change of venue. And that means he didn't want the trial to take place on Nantucket. Change of venue would have made sense because Nantucket is such a small, everyone knows everyone kind of place. The population year round is less than 15,000, Sarah. Now it swells to over 80,000 in the summer months, July and August, but it's a very, very small population. So it would make sense to have a change of venue. Yeah, and I mean, really, it does beg the question, was Tulin able to get a fair trial on Nantucket? Reddington's take on this, his quote of this, was that it was flirting with being a hollow formality. In other words, why have a trial at all in this place where everybody knows everybody? It's impossible to find an impartial jury on a place like Nantucket. Absolutely. And so the trial became a contest of experts, and the battlefield was Tulin's mental health. The prosecution pointed out But, you know, the premeditation, stuff like getting on the plane from Manhattan to Nantucket the prior day. He actually bought two knives at the fishing shop. We had said one knife in the previous, but he bought two knives, one of which he didn't use. But also in terms of the premeditation, Tulin, he cleaned up after himself and after the murder and disposed of the knife and that kind of thing. So that all goes towards premeditation. And really, the discovery of Beth's body, this made me cringe when I read this, Laura. Just the sheer disrespect and brutality. When Beth Lochtefeld's body was discovered, Tulin had taken the time to really to desecrate it. And what he did is he left marijuana on her body, lubricating jelly, a vibrator, all in a sort of very disrespectful 
way. Right, you know? leave so that whoever found her would, would see these things surrounding her body and make it even more shocking. Yeah, and as we had mentioned before, Tulin had not sexually assaulted Beth, but he had shaved her pubic hair, which is something he had apparently done to other women in a really assaultive way. Tulin had a real rage against women, including his previous relationships. One ex-girlfriend he had nearly strangled to death. Anyway. I wish we knew more about his relationship with his family and his early childhood to see where all this rage is coming from. Apparently during the trial, he didn't make eye contact with his mother. His mother was very, I don't know, scornful of him. I think there's probably a lot of shame with what he did. I mean, obviously for any circles, but definitely for circles that these people run in, this was probably a big blot on the family too. Absolutely. Yeah, so, of course. So when Tulin was arrested, he was very drunk. His alcohol levels were like 0.3. This is like almost comatose. And he denied even seeing Beth. He told the arresting officers in Rhode Island when he was pulled over right after her murder that, hey, I haven't seen her in three days. Obviously, being drunk or on drugs is not a defense for murder. But in Tulin's car, they found an empty bottle of Clonopin with prescription for 90 tablets that was empty. He had clearly been abusing. And he was diagnosed, get this, I love this. He was diagnosed with polysubstance abuse. <laughs> a fancy way to say addict. Yeah, drug addict, exactly. And really, an insanity plea is a tough road for any defense attorney, but really particularly in this case, because Reddington described his client as a master of the universe. That is a, a reference to Tom Wolfe's Bonfire of the Vanity. <laughs> Which everybody should read immediately. Yeah, yeah, One of a, my favorite books. It's a, it's a crazy book. And this is a case in which... Tulin's kind of resume worked against him because if you think about it, Reddington is trying to point out that his good-looking, Ivy League-educated Wall Street client is mad as a hatter. Yeah, that's it's it's a it's a high bar. I don't think even if his client had had been even from a lower class, it would be very easy to prove. There's just really nothing here that's pointing to insanity. But when you have a well-bred, well-educated client, it, it is very difficult. And we've seen this in other cases. I think it's sometimes more difficult. And this case really reminds me of the Thomas Gilbert case, which we'll discuss a little bit later on in the episode. But I think it's very clear that Thomas Tulin was a very sick guy. One expert during trial cited an early brain injury. Another brought up the contraindication of drugs and alcohol. But in the end, Laura, I really think that the nasty intentionality behind the murder of Beth and all the premeditation were facts that the jury just couldn't ignore. Really, and the, the trifecta in this case was Tulin's generalized rage against women, his lack of impulse control, lots of drugs and alcohol, and the trigger, of course, was Beth's rejection of him. Had he been sober, maybe he wouldn't have done this. Had he had gotten some therapy, maybe he wouldn't have done this. I don't know. And I think it's important to point out that as much as wealth, privilege, good looks can be an advantage in life, they can be a disadvantage in a trial because the jury is going to look at this person and almost hold them, I think, to a higher standard and see 
how could this have happened to this person? And we saw this in the Thomas Gilbert case, which I think in that case, uh, which we did cover in a previous episode, Thomas Gilbert was a Princeton-educated man who murdered his father. And I think in that episode, we actually did see strong evidence of mental health issues, and they really weren't looked at. It was almost impossible to see this gorgeous well-put-together, intelligent man and then think, oh, he's schizophrenic. It was it was almost like a disconnect. So I think that these things can almost be used against you. So give that a listen. It's a great episode and very similar to the Thomas Tulin episode, not just in terms of both sort of Wall Street guys, both very privileged, but in terms of trying to understand how mental illness comes into play when you are looking at a murder case. The burden of proof is on the prosecutor to prove that the defendant intended, had the intention and the mental clarity to kill the victim. That's the burden of proof. I gotta say, I think on the Thomas Gilbert case, I think that was a tougher hill to climb for the prosecution rather than the Thomas Tulin case because Thomas Gilbert had this history of mental illness, whereas I feel like Thomas Tulin had issues, but it wasn't as sort of blatantly mentally ill rather than like sort of behavior. I think he was behaviorally ill. Tulin was. I think most murderers have mental health issues. It's just how far does it go? Well, you so have can, to, two things can be true. Exactly. But as a defense attorney, you have got to prove that your client was not capable of knowing right from wrong, that your client was mentally ill at the time of the murder. Which is impossible to do in this case. Impossible. Which is why he it's was a, found guilty. Yeah, but it's impossible because if you really look at the evidence... He had the premeditation. He places the items. He gets rid of the evidence. He lies to the police. He has all the wherewithal to do these things. Part of the time, I think he was in a blackout. That was the other issue. On June 21st, 2007, it took the jury only four and a half hours to find Thomas Tulin guilty of first-degree murder. But... It's not a done deal, Laura, because then the case was overturned in 2013 because of the venue issue again. And it was retried in Barnstable and Tulin was found guilty again. And that was actually in three hours at that time. So back in 2022, this case came up again and a new trial was not granted for Thomas Tulin. There's a lot of evidence in this case. This is not a case I think that's going to, that's one where people are really wavering over guilt or innocence. Yeah. I think we mentioned it in part one, but if anybody wants a deeper dive, it's a great book called No Safe Harbor by John McDonald. Great writer. Really, I wish he would write more true crime because this this guy is really very, brings you right to Nantucket, brings you right into the details of their lives, the case. It's very, very good. And I think this case just shows that these things can happen anywhere and to anyone. Murder, murder.